Good morning. I love that line, morning by morning, new mercies I see. That's uh, how I want to look at each, each day, see God's mercies. Well, we've been uh, in a series uh, for this month of first fruits, giving and thanksgiving. And um, a couple weeks ago, we began looking at harvest. And we'll get that up there. And then uh, when we looked at harvest, we were in Galatians 6. You reap what you sow. And the emphasis was on sowing to the Spirit and the harvest that God introduces into the reality of our lives as believers in him. That's a harvest that uh, we experience through him. And then we looked at treasure from Matthew uh, chapter 6, and particularly 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And that's a profound truth, isn't it, that your heart follows your treasure. It follows what you treasure. We looked at that last Sunday, and, and this Sunday we want to look at Luke 16, verses 10 through 13, and uh, the important notion that when we're faithful in little, we're faithful in much. And uh, before we read that passage, I was... Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever said this? Um, may I please speak to the manager? May I please speak to the manager? Maybe you've been in a restaurant or uh, some kind of a store and something goes haywire. You're dealing with a counter level person and they aren't able to fix it because uh, they operate by policies. They don't seem to be able to make decisions on their own. So you say, may I speak to the manager? Well, we do that because the manager is presumably a trusted agent of the owner. The manager is a trusted agent of the, of the owner. And what that means is that the manager desires to fulfill the wishes, the intentions, the desires, and even the benefits of the owner. In the past, a manager was called a steward, a steward. And some of your translations will use the word steward. Just about every morning, I go into the office very early. And on the way, I stop at Starbucks. Now, if you're a Starbucks hater, hang on, please. Try to look past that to the point. But I go to a Starbucks because it opens at 4.30, and I'm usually there right at 4.30 waiting to make my order. And this last week, it happened a second time. I drove up, drove up you know, through the, through the drive-thru, and you, you place your order at that 
um, thingamajig, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, thingy bobber uh, doohickey. And I waited there for several minutes for somebody to say, good morning, may I take your order? But no one answered, and I sat there for five minutes. So finally, I drove around to the takeout window, and I looked in, and there was no, no movement anywhere. Uh, nothing was happening. And uh, that was a bit disconcerting, because I like to get to the office, you know. So I drove uh, another 15 minutes to another Starbucks that was open, got my order, and went to the office. The next morning, I was there again, and uh, a favorite barista, Rosa, was, uh, was there, and uh, I said, hey, what, what happened yesterday? And she said, well, we saw you. We knew you were there. But she said, the manager hadn't come in, and we can't open until the manager gets there. We can't do anything until the manager gets there. I thought that was quite interesting. I wondered what Howard Schultz might think if I had a direct hotline to him. Uh, he's the chairman and CEO of Starbucks around the world. If I were to say, Hi, Charles. This is John. Uh, I stopped by the store, and one of your managers wasn't there at the time that's advertised you'll be open. And I think that would be an interesting conversation because I have a hunch that Charles Schultz would want that manager to be there because what Howard Schultz would want is that when he says he's going to be open and ready for service, he is there ready for service because Howard Schultz who is the CEO and chairman of all Starbucks around the world, was himself once a manager of a Starbucks. He began as a manager. In fact, if you get on and online and you Yahoo it or Google it or whatever you do, if you go to Wikipedia, for example, you will be told that in 1987, the original three owners sold the Starbucks chain to former manager Howard Schultz. He had the heart for this business and he's grown it from six to 42,000 and a brand name worth who knows. Because even though he was a manager, he had the heart of an owner. The Apostle Paul nails the distinctive characteristic and mark of a steward or manager in 1 Corinthians 4.2. And I'm going to quote it to you. Listen carefully. It's expected, that is, it's required of a steward that a steward be found faithful. That's it. 
Of all the other tack-ons and things that can change from manager to manager or steward to steward, the one thing that is fundamental to the concept of a manager and a steward is that the manager be found faithful. Here in Luke chapter 16, after telling the parable of the unfaithful, the unreliable, the disreputable, the dishonest manager, steward, Jesus turns to his disciples to whom he told the parable. And he says this, in beginning in verse 10 of Luke 16, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or worldly wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What we do with a little. And when it says a little, the actual wording is that which is least. So what you do and what I do with that which is least in your life, the littlest things, what you do with those determines a lot. That's not the way, you know, we're kind of primed to think. We tend to overlook, look beyond, look past little things. But Jesus is saying what we do with a little is boot camp to much. And if you want more, do the little things well. Major on the minors. For it decides who will be faithful with much. It will decide who will be faithful with much. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. My dad gave me some very practical advice. He didn't qualify it with practical advice. He just said, do this. But as I have grown and matured and experienced life, I have learned that the things my dad told me to do, I could recast as practical advice. One thing he told me is this, and uh, he told it to me more than once. If you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. The first time he told me that 
was when he gave me the responsibility of sweeping the garage. I concentrated on the big open space. I wanted it to be spick and span, as we used to say. I wanted it to be really clean, you know. I mean, when you come in there, you see the big space. So you want that to be really clean. But interestingly, my dad was not so interested in the big space. He gave that a quick glance. Then he began to look in all the corners, in all the nooks and the crannies. That's where my faithfulness to the task was tested. And so is ours. It's in the details. You know, it's a saying, the devil is in the details. Why do you think that's true? Because the little things matter. The little things matter. And that's where he concentrates. That's strategic. But we tend to look past it because we have our eyes on the horizon, on the ends of the earth, the proverb says. That's where the fool is focused, on the big things, the grand things. And I have to admit, when I was a kid, you know, I want to be somebody. So you focus on what somebody is. You don't realize that you have to practice little things well to get from small to big. Jesus is saying faithfulness is tested in the little things. And let me just give you a pro tip. I, I mean this. This is a really a precious insight if you'll take it to heart. It's the grateful person that naturally appreciates the little things. Because grateful people, thankful people, don't take little things for granted. And when you're a person of a grateful heart, you notice, you notice the little things. Have you ever opened a door for somebody? What happened? Did you notice if they said thank you? Did you also notice if they didn't? It's the little things. Those little kindnesses. Why do you notice them? If you don't, you need to cultivate a grateful, thankful heart. Because if you have no appreciation for those little nice things that people do, it's because you're ungrateful. And you don't realize how much of life is a gift. You see, the fundamental teaching of the Bible from the beginning in Genesis to the end, in a thousand different ways, is that God is our creator and we are his creation. And everything that we have and that we are, even life and its breath, comes from his hand. The more you concentrate on the voice of our culture, our society, and our world, the voice is saying, you make it on your own, you make it by yourself, you do it as an individual. 
and you have only yourself to thank. That's a fool's chorus. You'll never understand the workings of faith if you do not realize that everything comes ultimately from God. It decides who will be faithful with much. It decides who can steward true riches. In verse 11 it says, If then you have not been faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? I like the way the message puts it. If you're not honest in small jobs, who'll put you in charge of a store? True. If you are looking for work, <laughs> practice yourself in the little things. The boss will notice. The manager will notice. You'll be appreciated, and you'll be considered for weightier matters. But Jesus here is talking of spiritual truths. In the parable that preceded these final words that Jesus gives to his disciples, you and me. At the very beginning of the parable, the steward is audited. The owner has heard that the manager, boy, it's just horrible to hear secondhand. Think about this. It's horrible to hear secondhand that those who have been trusted are not trustworthy. They're not faithful. They said, I'll do what you've asked, but then they don't do it. That's what the owner has heard about his manager. Perhaps he's heard it from clients. And in a status-conscious honor culture, that's a big deal because that is not dishonoring just to the manager. It's dishonoring to the owner. When I whimsically, you know, I can't get a hold of a Char uh, Howard Schultz. I certainly can't get a hold of Charles because he's beyond me now, beyond the grave. But if I did get a hold of Howard Schultz, it wouldn't be just about the manager. It would be about his reputation. His reputation is on the line. A manager is supposed to reflect the reputation of the owner the chairman of the board, the CEO. And so when the manager is audited, he, we're told, audits himself. And if you read the parable, he begins to reflect. What am I going to do? Because the owner has says, you're going to have to give an account of your managership, of your stewardship. But you're done. You're not going to be my manager anymore. You're not going to be my steward. And so he begins to think. He audits himself. What am I going to do? And this is important. It's a key to this passage, one of the keys at least, because it tells us that we are to read this as a person who is nothing but a manager, nothing but a steward. 
That is the focus that Jesus is putting on his disciples. You as my disciples are never more, never beyond anything but a steward, a manager. Never lose sight that you are not an owner. You are not in control. You always represent someone else. You always serve another. And with that come wonderful things. But when you understand that, it changes everything. And so it does for the steward that is audited. In the end of the parable, he is appraised. And the owner actually praises him for being shrewd. What he has done in the remaining time of his managership or stewardship with the power, so to speak, of attorney operating in the name of the owner, he has done favors for those who were indebted to the owner and earned for himself and the owner honor. And so the owner praises him. But Jesus does not, does not call his disciples to be shrewd, which is, in fact, in verse 8, Jesus calls that steward dishonest. He's not calling his disciples to be shrewd. He's calling his disciples to be faithful. Is Jesus promising in this verse to make us richer financially if we're faithful stewards of our money? as the prosperity movement teaches? Because he does say if we're faithful in little, in effect, we will be given true riches. If you squish verse 10 and 11 together and follow the thread of thought, that's what he's saying. Faithful in little, entrusted with much. And that much is called true riches. But I don't think Jesus is saying that we can expect if we're faithful stewards of what God has given us, that he's going to make us financially prosperous. I can't imagine that the Apostle Paul was not faithful in all that he was given. And yet he was hardly wealthy. In fact, in Philippians 4, 10 and 11, Paul said that he knew poverty, and yet he knew contentment. God uses our stewardship financially to determine how much he can trust us with spiritually. The true riches. Spiritual and ministry privileges that last forever are open to us when we're faithful to him. How we use the least of our time, talent, and treasure affects the eternal impact that we will have. How much we have is not an indication of our spirituality. How we manage what we have is. 
And a steward's real job, our job, is faithfulness. How does God want me to use what he has given me? That is the issue of a steward. God owns it all. We are his stewards, his managers, managers of our life and what he gives us. And that is why being a steward or a manager is such a wonderful experience if we grasp it because managers think differently than owners. For example, stewards are to be grateful and content. I can be content with what I have if I accept that God picked it out for me. If that what I have is what God has given me to manage and manage faithfully. Of course, if I resent what I have, or I resent what others have that I don't have, then I'm acting like an owner and not a manager. I'm not a faithful steward. A second reason that stewards think differently is that stewards are to give willingly. God asks for a tithe so we can express that he owns it all, that we are stewards of the gifts and abilities, the treasures and talents that he has given us to manage. He's asked for a tenth, and we trust him in turn to provide for our needs. We see that in Philippians 4, 12 and 18, and Malachi 3, 10 and 11. Only when we recognize we're stewards, not owners, does giving come willingly. Keep that in mind. If you see yourself as a manager, it's all the more easy to give because it's not yours to keep. And if he asks you to give a tithe, that's a foundational expression of faith that I am a manager and not an owner. You can put it this way. Do you realize that there are companies that are owned and operated by Christians? And those companies owned and operated by Christians, they give a tithe, a tenth from their profits to the Lord. Now just imagine, if I worked in the business office of that company, and I was informed that I was to write the tithing checks, should it bother me? It, it doesn't bother me at all. I don't mind writing those checks. I was asked to do it by the owner. It's not even my money. After all, I'm just doing what the boss asked and it doesn't affect my paycheck anyhow. I know that the boss is always going to pay me. You see, giving God that percentage is a foundational way we express our acceptance of the fact that we are stewards and he's the owner. And at the same time, even though we may sacrifice emotionally 
because we're letting go of that sense of ownership. Nevertheless, we enter into a new emotional freedom called trust, called faith, because we can rest knowing that God will supply. Thinking like managers instead of owners enables us to really enjoy what God gives us materially. There's a third thing stewards are to do. They are to enjoy God's blessings. God allows stewards to have many good things to enjoy. Paul, writing to wealthy Christians in 1 Timothy 6.17, says, Put your hope not in wealth, which is so uncertain, but in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Thinking like stewards does not mean we give up good things. It means that we give up control. And stewardship mindset means that we enjoy things more. Enjoyment does not have a price tag. And a fourth thing that causes stewards to think differently because God's the boss, he's in control, we are to work and realize that work is a blessing because God enables us to earn any money we have. And that's a hard reality for us to grasp because we are taught through the world in which we move and breathe and have our being, the messages to us is that we've done it our way. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, God says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth that I have. But remember, he says, the Lord your God, remember him, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Stewardship means really seeing our job as God's gift to us. Whatever we do, whether we run a, a business or stock shelves, it's all possible because God enables us. I worked for a plumbing company. I could have become a plumber. I tell you, they, they really make good money. But you know, by the way, and this is just a little add-on, plumbers aren't worth much of a hoot without their tools. Yeah, let that sink in. But anyway, I could have been a plumber, but I chose to remain a plumber's helper because I'd been called to ministry. And uh, as a plumber's helper, uh, I, I drove some pretty ratty trucks. Uh, Ford, what are they? Uh, five one hundreds or something like that. Anyway, uh, never bothered me a bit. Didn't annoy me one bit. I'd drive those things all over, you know. It didn't matter if I parked too close to another car. I wasn't worried about anybody opening their car door into the pickup. Um, you know, I'd throw things in the bed and so forth. It was just a ratty old, dirty old pickup. I, 
It got me where I was supposed to be going. It got me to do the job that I was called to do. But at the same time, sometimes I got to drive the boss's Lincoln. Man, that was like steering a boat. It was so smooth. In the same way, I, why? Because I didn't own it. I was just a manager. There's great freedom in working for the boss. And when we're faithful, it decides who is a worthy heir. In verse 12, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I use the word inheritance because we're seen as stewards, as managers throughout life. Besides, it's all worldly wealth. But we're told that there will be an inheritance, which is truly a beautiful thing. Many people in antiquity did not have wealth. The majority didn't. Uh, and many didn't have any inheritance. And in the Bible, inheritance is spoken of a lot. It's a beautiful thing. If we had an ear for it, people are, were called legacy hunters. Some made a life out of trying to hoodwink people out of their inheritances. But we are told we have an inheritance. We're just told to be faithful managers in the meantime. Why is it that the disciples' use of wealth tied to our heavenly future? Because our use of wealth points to the one we serve. And that's in verse 13. It determines how we handle the little things, determines who serves God. I just encourage you to consider your time and your talent and your treasure. God can do more with 90% of your life because you've devoted that 10. He can do more with that 90 than you could ever do with 100% of everything that he's given you. And the amazing thing is, is that he does wonderful things with that 90% but that's on top of the 10% that you've devoted to him. You should never think in subtraction when you're thinking of the Lord. You should always be thinking of addition. It's the little things. And this is, this is real faith that I'm talking about. It calls for a different mindset. Some of you have been to the study uh, that I have the privilege of sitting in during the week when I'm at the, at the administrative building at the office. Um, and, and over the years, I've amassed a lot of books, a lot of books. And it, it often because I was teaching, and just like a plumber, a plumber isn't much good without his tools or her tools, if they're plumbing women or plumbers too. Um, and, and so a professor, a teacher, a scholar isn't much good without his books. Amazingly, now we can handle so much of that digitally, you know, we can hold it in the palm of our hand almost. 
But the reality is, is that I used to be concerned about that, and I really had to turn it over to the Lord. But it caused me to wonder, what would happen? Who would you be, John, without those books? What if you lost all of your files? I have four files of notes that I one day thought I would turn into a book or something and that I used in the classroom. What, who would you be, John, if you lost all of that? And it's a good question to ask yourself. Who would you be if you lost all of your worldly wealth and possessions? It might cause you to focus on who you're coming to be and, and really where you have invested your treasure and what is the harvest of your life. It's never too late to begin and move in better and greater directions. Just to give us a heavenly perspective, over 40 years ago, a Philadelphia church watched three nine-year-old boys. Just imagine little nine-year-olds. My uh, grandson, my oldest, is now 10. Three nine-year-old boys were baptized, and uh, they became, they were, they joined the church, it said, in the, in the records. Not long after, the church, unable to continue with its dwindling membership, sold the building and uh, disbanded. One of those boys, a well-known author and professor, He's a nationally known Christian leader and now a grown man. One of those boys, years later, was doing research in the denominational archives. And this is what he says, I decided to look up the church report for the year of my baptism. There was my name and Dick White's. He's now a missionary. And there was the name of Bert Newman, now a professor of theology at an African seminary. Then I read the church report for the year of our baptism. It has, quote, it has not been a good year for our church. We've lost 27 members. Three joined, and they were only children. Think about that. Really, think about that. Grateful people see potential, see blessing, see goodness in the little things, in the things that other people pass by and look past and beyond and don't count as much. God, in, throughout the Bible, God uses the people that everyone else leaves behind or considers unimportant. For years, I was the black sheep in the family. I was the kid of all the cousins that went on into ministry. I was the kid that everybody looked beyond and passed because I was that wild weed who wasn't going to turn out or turn into anything. Don't give up. 
Be positive. These are cynical, negative times. People are fixed on the negatives and subtraction. You be a person of addition and addition because God is constantly of creative power and love and gift and goodness. Move with him. Trust him. Be a manager of his resources and make a difference in your world for Christ. You stand. Let me close in prayer. I will say amen, but I will be up here along with uh, pastors and elders, and if you'd like to come and pray, maybe you need Jesus Christ. Haven't given your life to him, haven't trusted him. Do so this morning. Whatever it is you need to bring to the Lord, bring your first and best to him this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the power of your spirit which you pour out on us, available to us to live our lives for you. We praise you for all of your goodness. Give us eyes big enough to contain your grace, your gifts, your blessings, that we might be grateful and recognize it's in the little things that we see your beauty so magnificent. In Jesus' name we praise you and all of God's people said, God bless you.